WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts are former District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr. and current Rutherford County District Attorney Jennings Jones. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime, and we also thank our producer, Nick Cohen. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our Inside the Courts segment, Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones will inform you about recent grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. Today, in our What's the Law segment, former District Attorney General Bill Whitesell will discuss cold case investigations with Sergeant Dan Goodwin of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. In our Call to Conviction segment, we will highlight the 1984 murder of MTSU student Laura Salmon. We will provide you with a behind-the-scenes look at the investigation and the trial that followed over 26 years later in August of 2006. We will also look at the important role that the Laura Salmon case has played in our criminal justice system. My two guests that will discuss the Laura Salmon case are Sergeant Dan Goodwin of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office and forensic scientist and blood spatter expert Jerry Finley. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. This is Amanda at Animal City. Come see us at 919 Northwest Broad Street here in Murfreesboro. Now is a great time to consider flea and tick protection for your pet. We carry a full line of flea and tick products for dogs, cats, rabbits, and ferrets. We also carry a variety of hard-to-find products for your specialty pets. So if you need a pouch for your sugar glider or food for your hedgehog, come see us at Animal City. You can find Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. We have a club steak, and the club steak can be cooked to any flavor that you want. It is the club steak. It's a seven-ounce piece of steak, and we named it that way because it looks like and it has the shape of a golf club. We have a low-calorie menu and a low-carb menu. So depending on whatever diet that you like, we have options for you that are available at Demas's. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Analexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Analexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. 
BlakeRadio.com. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. In this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We want to begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On April the 9th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez Jr. Murfreesboro Police Detective Richard Presley has charged Mr. James Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Lopez Jr. On July 1st of last year, Mr. Evans waived his right to a preliminary hearing and bound his case over to the grand jury. In March of this year, the grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Evans on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a weapon. Mr. Evans has waived his right to an arraignment before a circuit court judge by and through counsel, Mr. Jack Mitchell. His next scheduled court date is June 7th of this year. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. James Evans III is currently being held in the Rutherford County Jail, unable to make bond. On March the 31st of 2019, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on Sunset Avenue. Once inside, officers discovered the body of Judith Montmeyer. Miss Montmeyer had been stabbed multiple times, resulting in her death. Upon the conclusion of the investigation, Murfreesboro Detective Jacob Fountain charged Mr. Montmeyer with the first-degree murder, murder of his wife, 53-year-old Judith Montmeyer. On August 8th of 2019, Mr. Montmeyer appeared before the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County, and following a preliminary hearing, the court bound the matter over to the grand jury. In November of 2019, the grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Montmeyer for first-degree murder. Mr. Montmeyer last appeared before the Circuit Court of Rutherford County on May 13th of this year. Mr. Montmeyer is represented by counsel Mr. Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Dana Meyer. Martin Montmeyer remains in custody and awaits his trial, set to begin on May 9th of next year. On February 6th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting resulting in the death of 21-year-old Giovanni Gillis at a residence on Ewing Boulevard. Murfreesboro Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as the lead investigator. Upon conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Larry Johnson II has been charged with the first-degree murder of Giovanni Gillis. On May 5th of this year, a preliminary hearing was held in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County. After the hearing, the case was bound over for presentment to a grand jury. Mr. Johnson is represented by counsel Mr. Michael Flanagan and currently remains in custody at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On the 26th of June, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove Road. 
Mr. Terry Barber was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Rutherford County Detective Steve Brown has charged three individuals with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and fraudulent use of a debit card. The individuals charged are Devin Gailey, Brent Ross, and Vernice Farrar. Following a preliminary hearing in General Sessions Court, these cases were bound over to the grand jury. In June of last year, a grand jury returned a true bill against all three defendants. Devin Gailey is represented by counsel Luke Evans, Brent Ross represented by Michael Jones, and Vernice Farrar is represented by Amanda Gentry. The defendant's next appearance is scheduled for September 9th of this year, with a trial set to start on March 21st of 2022. I will be representing the state in this matter, along with Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On July 26th of 2020, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to the residence of Eric Bixler. Upon arrival, deputies found Mr. Bixler deceased as a result of multiple stab wounds. A female companion of Mr. Bixler advised deputies two armed men attacked Mr. Bixler and held her at gunpoint while they searched the premises. The female reported that she had heard Mr. Bixler being tortured by his assailants. Rutherford County Sheriff's Department Detective Ty Downing was assigned as lead investigator in this case. Following Detective Downing's investigation, Mr. Christopher White and Mr. Christopher Robinson, both from Kentucky, were charged with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, especially aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, use of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, and tampering with evidence. Additionally, Mr. Christopher White was charged with possession of a firearm by a felon. After a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court, the cases were bound over to the grand jury. In March of this year, a true bill was returned against both defendants. Their next court date is set for June 8th of this year. The state, in this case, is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On October 8th of last year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that ultimately resulted in the death of 22-year-old Ben Wright. Murfreesboro Police Department Detective Albert Miles has been assigned as lead investigator. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Roderick Rogers was at recklessly handling a firearm that discharged, resulting in the shooting and death of Mr. Rogers' co-worker, Ben Wright. A Rutherford County grand jury has indicted Roger, Roderick Rogers on one count of reckless homicide. He is represented by counsel Mr. Kevin McGee. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Mr. Rogers is currently released on bond and is scheduled to appear before the Circuit Court of Rutherford County on July 29th of 2021. On October the 24th of last year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who had suffered two gunshots and later died from his wounds. Detective Albert Miles with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. After completing his investigation, Detective Miles charged Cody Gillum with the first-degree murder of Blake Bolton. Following a preliminary hearing on March 23rd of this year, the case was bound over to the grand jury. Mr. Gillum remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center, awaiting presentment to a grand jury. 
Additionally, Mr. Gillum was charged on April the 24th of this year with the offense of attempted escape from the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. Mr. Gillum is currently represented by the Office of the District Public Defender, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On January 14, 2017, deputies with the Cannon County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence where three individuals had been attacked. Deputies found the body of David Wooten inside a vehicle, deceased from multiple gunshot wounds. Elizabeth Clement and Laura Jastry were found inside the home. Elizabeth Clement later died from her wounds, a single gunshot to the head. Laura Jastry survived her injuries, consisting of multiple stab wounds and a single gunshot wound. The TBI was requested to assist with this investigation. Upon conclusion of the investigation, Robert Jesse Mount was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery, use of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, aggravated burglary, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court of Cannon County, the case was bound over to the grand jury. A Cannon County grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Mount on all charges. The Circuit Court for the 16th Judicial District transferred venue of the case from Cannon County to Rutherford County for security reasons. Mr. Mount is represented by counsel Mr. Paul Bruno, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Matthew Westmoreland. A trial in this matter is scheduled to begin on August 16th of this year. The following cases are present presently scheduled to appear in the General Sessions Court for Rutherford County. Juan Lugo, who is charged with the first with first degree murder and is scheduled for a preliminary hearing on June 14th of 2021. Mr. Lugo remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department and is currently represented by counsel Mr. J.D. Driver. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Deshaun Wells is charged with second degree murder and is scheduled for a preliminary hearing on June 8th of this year. Mr. Wells remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department and is currently represented by counsel Mr. J.D. Driver. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Finally, a case we wish to keep in, in the attention of the public. On December the 8th of 2016, Murfreesboro Police located the body of Francisca Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Based on their investigation, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Romulo Hernandez Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Arrington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. The phone number to call is 615-893-1311. Again, that number, 615-893-1311. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. Join me, America's career coach Ken Coleman, weekdays live at noon here on News Radio WGNS for practical advice to help you discover the work you were born to do. Hi, I'm Wade Hayes, owner of Toots Good Food and Fun. I strongly believe that volunteers make a positive difference in the quality of life here in our community. You hear juvenile court judge Donna Scott Davenport on the radio, but a listener nominated her for outstanding volunteer because of the help that she offers while not on the bench, like mentoring in the Murfreesboro Young Professionals or empowering women through the Junior League. 
and as an adjunct professor at MTSU. Thank you, Juvenile Court Judge Donna Scott Davenport. At Toots, we strongly believe that it's important for every one of our citizens to give some of their time and talent back into the community. And we want to honor these individuals with a Toots gift certificate good at any of our Rutherford County locations. 860 Northwest Broad Street on Church Street in the Barfield area, in Smyrna on Sam Ridley, and Toots West on Franklin Road at Rucker Lane. This is Paul Newman. This broadcast often asks for the community's help in solving cold case homicides. It is my belief that the law enforcement agencies that deserve special recognition for citizen service are those agencies that address the need for cold case homicide investigation units. Our community was blessed to have a community leader who distinguished himself in this area. That leader is former Rutherford County Sheriff Truman Jones. Under Truman Jones's leadership, the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office established the first cold case investigation unit in Rutherford County. It is a unit which has had remarkable success and sent a clear message that unsolved murder cases are never closed, for there is no expiration date on a murder case. It also sent the message that a murder victim's family should never feel abandoned because law enforcement never forgets an unsolved murder or its victim. And the final message is that people who commit murder should always know that law enforcement may be coming at any time to hold them accountable for taking a human life. In our What's the Law segment, former District Attorney General Bill Weitzel Jr. will discuss these topics and more with Sergeant Dan Goodwin of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Sergeant Goodwin is a former founding member of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office's Cold Case Investigation Unit. It is now time for this edition of What's the Law? What's the Law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Bill, is there anything you'd like to say before we start? No, I'm just happy to be here, Paul. How important is the cooperation of WGNS in cooperating and helping us get this information out concerning cold case investigations? Well, obviously, the public is very important. There are people out there that know about these cases, and there may be somebody that knows some details or some specific fact that might come to light and help us solve these cases. So we feel like this will be a way to communicate with the public and hopefully encourage the uh, public to communicate with us or with law enforcement. Tell the listeners why is it important to have a cold case unit? It's important because when we talk about the public, the public at large doesn't have jurisdictional lines. So it's important that all of the agencies involved work as a team. They're kept abreast of what the other agency may be doing. They share information that 
they have or information that may come to light. Uh, and it gives us an ability to use a team approach to trying to solve these cases. It also gives us the ability to have a fresh set of eyes and ears to look at these cases and maybe see something or recognize something that we've missed in the past. How important is the cooperation of the community in helping us solve these crimes? It's absolutely imperative that we have the community support. Uh, After all, as I said, there are people out there that know about these crimes. They may have seen something. They may have heard something that would be very important or instrumental in solving these unsolved cases. Today's modern jury uh, in the society, the technological society we live in, they expect physical evidence. They expect DNA or fingerprints. And that comes from watching television shows where the latest technology is used to to often solve cases. But in my experience, and in particular with cold cases, although technology may help us, it comes down to just good old investigative techniques, talking to people, finding other people, working those cases and going out and being an investigator. Detective Goodwin, can you tell us how important uh, seminars and training is to cold case investigation? It's absolutely important to all agencies, no matter what their, what their size is these days. They need to get good training infrequently. And the seminars also allow us, and we've had a couple of of them here in the last few years, allows us to network, make connections with other folks otherwise, because as uh, the general was alluding to, it's not standing in a room waving your hair on an air screen that doesn't really exist. It's getting out driving. It's gasoline. It's shoe leather, and it's rubber on the tires. you got to get out and see people. If you know cold case agents in other areas, they can sometimes do some of that footwork for you, but usually there's no substitute for having our the phrase of the day, boots on the ground, wherever the witnesses or the bad guys are. we got to go there and talk to them ourselves eventually. I know that you have not only investigated cold cases, but other cases as well. Tell us what is the difference, if there is a difference, in cold case investigation as opposed to other criminal investigations. Well, particularly in homicides, you know, there's a TV show, The First 48 Hours, as you know, as a former homicide investigate yourself is really the first 72 hours a hot case you're fighting against time going as rapidly as you can a lot of times we have a hot murder if you will folks don't sleep for several days they're trying to get everything they've done that they possibly can in cold cases time is on your side the passage of time up to a certain point helps you because relationships change as we found in all the cases we work we mine now bad relationships to find nuggets of information and a lot of times those nuggets are admissions to a murder and can get into a little bit later but those admissions have basically been our stock and trade finding people that the bad guys have told they did it and this particular program we're going to be asking the community to help us can you tell us why should the community want to become involved in investigation of a homicide basically it's a civic duty if you have knowledge and and one of the things we run into general is that many of the people that we speak to are are reticent at first they think because they've had knowledge and not shared it not immediately called 911 and told someone that they're in some sort of trouble themselves that's just not true by and large one of the things especially in the salmon case uh, we found is uh, folks hadn't come forward because the police had never gone to talk Uh, We were fortunate we found a dear friend of hers early on and she gave us a number of names and that launched a whole series of events. Sometimes you gotta wonder, is there anybody in town Truman Jones doesn't know? Truman Jones is on weekday mornings at 9 on WGNS. 
Mostly sunny skies here for this afternoon with a high in the mid-80s. Winds out of the northeast to 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 61. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 62. Good morning. Traffic still moving right now on 24, coming out of Coffee County, in and through Rutherford County. Yes, there's going to be a lot of uh, pedestrian traffic and just extra traffic in general around the uh, Smyrna Airport all weekend long. Folks scrambling, trying to find a place to park. Just use caution and some patience over there in that area. Gatlinburg Wine Cellar, home of the world-famous cotton candy wine. Check it out at GatlinburgWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. conviction. Time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. We had mentioned earlier the Laura Salmon case in which Cal Gilly was convicted, and we have with us one of the detectives that worked that case, Detective Dan Goodwin. Detective Goodwin, can you give us kind of an overview of the early history of the Laura Salmon case? Laura was an 18-year-old freshman, had just completed her freshman year at MTSU in May of 1984. It was uh, off for the summer and had just begun a job not too long before working at the then-new Kroger on what was Tennessee Boulevard. On May 31st, she completed her shift, got off at about 1.05, left the parking lot. She was observed by a co-worker and headed towards MTSU. She was planning to apply for readmission. She'd had some rough grades in the spring semester, and she was not seen again until about 5.40 to 6 o'clock that afternoon. Her body was discovered at the end of a farmer's lane out past the stone quarry off Dole Springs Road out there. She was found out in that field. Uh, officers arrived. They cordoned off the area, took a lot of photography. No one knew who she was at the time. She was identified with her senior ring that she was wearing uh, when they got her to the morgue at the county hospital. Autopsy was performed. It was determined she was killed by multiple blows to the head with rocks that were found in that area. There were suspects immediately. Gilly was one of them, and he had a alibi of sorts at the time from a now deceased person. And then some forensic technology at the time, which was nothing compared to what it is now came out there was a hair found in the car that was a one in five thousand match for a man whose name came up the following day in metro on a rape case and they kind of canceled each other out for a good long time gilly had his alibi and it was a one in five thousand match and that there was no way to put those two folks together the other suspect as well as laura they could not be put in, put together. Now, once the case became cold, it remained dormant for some period of time. And I understand that Miss Salmon's mother was instrumental in making sure that no one forgot about her case. General Weissel can speak to that better than I, but uh, she did stay after police and prosecutors all along. She knew who killed her daughter, and she wanted something done about it. The case was never closed. All homicides are open and just unsolved. TBI was also investigated. Agent Carmouche was assigned to it and would regularly update the case. And periodically, detectives at my agency, before we got there, Bill and I, they would dust it off and look at it, see if they could generate any new leads. But nothing had happened for a long time when we got it in February of 2000. General Weitzel, how significant was Miss Mackey's input and her energy in helping to keep this case alive? Well, it goes without saying that she was always very concerned, wanted the case prosecuted. Shortly after I was appointed district attorney, she came to me and said, I want you to arrest and prosecute Kyle Gilly. 
and I told her the problems with the case, the same things that my predecessor had explained, and the problem was that we had two potential suspects that mutually excluded each other. We couldn't exclude one to focus on the other, and I explained that to her, but she was adamant. She felt like she was right. I also felt like she was right, but all I could do was promise her that we would do the best we could to try to build a case against Mr. Gilley, and ultimately we were successful in doing that. Detective Goodwin, can you tell us about what happened when you became involved in the investigation and what caused you to get involved? A tip came in from a school resource officer at Oakland High School, David Krim. A teacher at his school had overheard conversation between a boy at the school and a friend of his, and the boy said, what would you think if you knew that your father had killed a woman and threw in a rock quarry? So that got us looking into it. It took us about two weeks to go down that path, including trying to get a prospective DNA profile on the uh, man who was being spoken of. The father the boy was talking about had actually been dead himself since 1987. He was the victim of a violent death. So we had to get a profile by getting DNA from his family members, interviewed everybody we could. There was no known nexus between that person and Laura Salmon, but that had gotten the case started again. So we began back on the original file and uh, set out to get other DNA profiles that might go back to the scene. This case you see happened a number of years before DNA profiling came into effect, and for whatever reason, none of it had been submitted before or efforts made to go to those different people. So we quickly, especially with the uh, help of Manatee County Sheriff's Office, Detective uh, Rick Gerken, we were able to write a search warrant and get Gilly's DNA in April of 2000. And that came back with a hit on him as being at the scene because of evidence there. On the 16th anniversary of her murder, on May 31st of 2000, he was a positive hit. We also cleared the alternative suspect. He's now a physician in Nashville. He never knew her. In fact, uh, you guys caused us to check him more than once. We had his original DNA, then we went and got it twice more and made doubly sure he was no match for anything found at the scene. The physical evidence was examined carefully and scientific evidence was a big part of this case. But how important was citizen involvement? We began anew on the case file, went through it, looked at people, and one of the people we noticed, and she doesn't mind us mentioning her name, was Kim Roberts-Brown. She was a friend of Laura's who was interviewed that night, and uh, we went to her right off the bat and spoke to her, and she provided us a number of names that we should check on. Was there a large number of people who came forward and gave testimony and evidence concerning the relationship between the defendant and the victim? We interviewed well over 150 people. Some we generated ourselves, and his word got out, more of them started saying, hey, we know something I believe as far as our bad acts go and you can explain that general we found over 20 I believe it's 23 21 or 23 physical assaults that Gilly had perpetrated on her keep in mind he was a year younger still a high school guy and he was beating on her frequently we were able to finally use eight of those at trial and and, and that effect kept going every person we talked to we'd say who else should we talk to and they had a list of names and in, in the final analysis what boiled down was originally no one talked to high school friends of Laura. They talked to college friends, but not people that were still in school or had just graduated. They were, by and large, just not spoken to. And how important is it to make sure that you contact every person and try to establish what was going on in that person's last 48 hours? Yeah, or as far back as you can go. We pretty much knew what she did that entire week from the Friday before when both the high schools graduated, Riverdale and Oakland, all the way through to her leaving the parking lot the day she died. One of the unique things about this case was that Cal Gilly was charged initially as a juvenile. Yes, sir. And at the time, how old was he? He was 17 when the murder occurred. I believe he was, I'm terrible at math, 
It was 2001 when he was arrested, so he would have been under 40 years old at that point, I believe. But he did have to be charged as a juvenile, and one of the first things we did was go before the juvenile court and have to present evidence in order to get him adjudicated as an adult so he could be tried that way. Okay. He was even housed with juveniles that had been adjudicated at the jail until the point he was. How many years passed before he actually went to trial? Bill and I felt like it went to sleep. Bill Sharp, that is. We had a, a bad axe hearing that went on review and finally made it all the way up to the state appellate court after five years. And in 2006, they said, uh, we need to go ahead and bring this to trial now, five years after the arrest. And General Weitzel, can you tell us some of the interesting aspects of the trial itself? Paul, I think one of the interesting aspects and one of the things that we really didn't concentrate on back in the early and mid-80s was the blood spatter evidence. There was a pair of blue jeans that had Mr. Gilly's DNA on it and also the blood that was deposited during the beating of Miss Salmon. And we had Jerry Finley from Georgia, a blood spatter expert, review those genes and his conclusion was that at the time she was killed, the person that killed her was wearing those blue jeans because of the pattern of blood that was on them. And that was a very important piece of evidence. I do remember this. It was one of the most intense trials that I've ever been involved in, and I'm sure you will agree since you were sitting there next to me. And uh, one of the things we had to overcome is the defense had their own expert concerning those blue jeans, but there were some things that I don't think that expert had anticipated that we were able to exploit, and uh, I believe that certainly helped our case. And if I may real quick, no one ever hears enough about the prosecutorial end of this, but it's mine and Major Sharps and the rest of the CID unit's pleasure, and you guys need to know that you have two of the best prosecutors in the southeastern United States, perhaps the country. These guys are the real deal. Farmland values soaring. Welcome and hello again, everyone, for Tennessee Home and Farm Radio. I'm Lee Maddox. And I'm going to say across the board, we've probably seen in the last 24 months, you know, at least a 20% increase. The value of Tennessee farmland is rising perhaps like never before. The pandemic has helped reveal places like Tennessee to folks looking to get out of areas like California and New York who are wanting their own piece of heaven, so to speak. Stan Vault of Parks Auction in Murfreesboro has been in this business for the past 30 years. You know, I almost say that it's the perfect storm right now for, for real estate, uh, especially vacant land, farmland, recreational land in Tennessee, a uh, combination of a lot of things. The pandemic has driven a lot of it. We, we're getting people from out of state that want to relocate here. Stan Vault says farmland values have steadily increased for several years now, and no longer is he seeing much of any going for less than $2,000 an acre in Middle Tennessee. You know, the good cropland in, like in Coffee County, we're seeing it, you know, 10 years ago would have brought 3500 to 4000 an acre, and now we're seeing it bring, you know, six to eight. And so it just keeps accelerating. So we've got, we've got the supply and demand issue just like anything else. Vault says no one knows how long this market will continue and what tax changes may be forthcoming. But one thing he says for sure, land purchases have always seemed to have been a great investment. 2021 may be the best year for them to do it. Of course, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how many people are going to move to Tennessee, but, but it's a real good opportunity if you are a seller in today's market to check out if that's what you need to do as a personal decision. If not, hey, it's probably a good 
you know, good time to hold on to it. And from Tennessee Home and Farm Radio, I'm Lee Maddox. A heart for healing. When life challenges become a torrential flood, there are local doctors, nurses, and medical technicians who help you maneuver the swift waters. Gordon Ferguson, President and CEO of St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Jamie Robertson at Murfreesboro Medical Clinic is the Heart for Healing recipient. A listener writes, I was checking out of the Murfreesboro Medical Clinic and the news I received from the doctor was not what I had hoped for. While checking out, I met with Jamie Robertson. Her smile and words of encouragement helped me to move forward. She's a team leader at Murfreesboro Medical Clinic. Jamie Robertson at Murfreesboro Medical Clinic is our Heart for Healing honoree and receives dinner for two at the fabulous Alley on Main Street restaurant. Submit your Heart for Healing nomination to WGNS. Good Neighbor Talk covers issues you won't hear anywhere else. They're local issues. WTNX, AM, AM, FM, FM, online. To discuss this case, we are honored to have with us today one of the experts who testified in the trial itself. Jerry Finley will offer expert insight regarding the blood evidence found at the crime scene. Jerry Finley's expert testimony provided valuable evidence. Jerry Finley is an expert in crime scene reconstruction and blood pattern analysis. Mr. Finley, we want to welcome you to Murfreesboro, and we want to welcome you to the broadcast. Thank you for having me here. To start with, tell us what a crime scene reconstructionist does. A crime scene reconstructionist analyzes the evidence covered from a crime scene, analyzes the crime scene, the autopsy, and takes all of that and puts it together into the sequence of events that took place within a crime scene. What type of information and assistance can an expert in blood pattern analysis provide to the law enforcement officers then help them investigate the case? Well, in a lot of cases, when you have a statement, there's some parts of it that you may or may not believe or is not consistent with the evidence. So therefore, the blood pattern analyst and the reconstructionist can put together the types of things that are in the statement that are true and the types of things in the statement that are not true based on the physical evidence and the crime scene itself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and especially about your prior law enforcement training and experience. I've been involved in forensic investigations for for right uh, close to 41 years now. Uh, started out with the Chatham County Police Department in Savannah, Georgia, and was there as a forensic investigator. When I retired from there, I went to work for the state of Georgia in the Department of Public Safety as the supervisor of forensic science and death investigation training for the state. I began consulting outside of that uh, in 1980 and have been consulting as well as teaching ever since. In your current capacity, I know that you wear multiple hats. You offer your services as an expert witness and you're in great demand to speak at law enforcement training seminars. How many trials have you testified in as an expert witness? 154. And what different states have you testified, or how widespread has your testimony been? Well, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, as well as Texas and Colorado. 
I first met you several years ago when you taught a week-long one-man blood pattern analysis seminar at the Murfreesboro Police Department. Tell us how it was that we were fortunate enough to get you to come to Murfreesboro. Well, I teach for the Institute of Police Technology and Management uh, at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, and one of the officers from Murfreesboro attended one of the courses down there and asked me if I would be willing to come to Murfreesboro and teach the same course up here, which I agreed to, and so came to Murfreesboro and taught the first course, and that's when I met you. In that first course, I attended that, and during that particular course that you were teaching, we actually brought over some genes used in the Calgilly case. That's true. Yes, sir. And as I remember, you examined those, and we had you look at them during a lunch break. Yes, sir. And from that, you were kind enough to take those and further examine them, and then come back to Murfreesboro and testify in the trial. Uh, Yes, sir. That's correct. Can you explain how a cold case investigation is different than a fresh homicide investigation? Well, in, in a cold case, you're going to have certain limitations depending on how well, as I mentioned, how well the scene is documented, the evidence is collected and preserved. In a lot of cold cases, the evidence gets lost, misplaced, it's not uh, analyzed properly. Now, with a fresh case and the things that we can do today, if the evidence is preserved properly in a cold case, then you can have additional tests run such as DNA and and with all the national databases that we have like the APHIS or fingerprint database uh, the DNA database and, and uh, NIBIN which is a firearms database all of those things really help as, as far as today's cases go but if the evidence is not uh, really preserved well from the older cold cases it makes it difficult and another thing is that a lot of times the cold cases are picked up by a detective that was not at the original scene, so they don't have that personal observation in looking at the scene and being able to to tell what transpired there. So cold cases are difficult, and you do have limitations. Uh, However, with a fresh case or a current homicide case, then you have the advantage of all of these things at hand if it's utilized. Can you tell us what evidence the district attorney's office asked you to examine? I was asked to examine the crime scene photographs, the autopsy report, crime scene investigation, the crime lab reports to see if it would be consistent with the statement given. How much time do you really have to spend examining and closely looking at all this evidence before you can come to an opinion? It takes a while depending upon the case just analyzing it because you have to dissect it, look at each piece of evidence recovered, look at each photograph minutely, inch at a time, and you have to put all this together. You correlate the injuries with the blood that's at the scene, and then you compare all of that with the statements line by line to determine at what point you know the person is telling the truth or what point that they're lying. I know that a small spot of blood can actually tell you a story about what went on. Tell us some of the things you can determine from looking at a blood spot or a blood pattern? Well, blood pattern analysis is a study of the size, shape, distribution, and location of the various types of stains. And due to research and in the publications and so on, we know how these stains are created. So by knowing how the stains are created, we can then determine, okay, was this person standing, sitting, were they lying? Was the perpetrator close to the victim, not close to the victim, and so on. So by looking at the stains and determining the angle, direction, and location can tell us an awful lot about what transpired at that crime scene. And I know that all the listeners are familiar with Dr. Henry Lee, and I know that you're familiar with him as well. Can you tell us about your meeting with him? 
Uh, actually, I've taught on the podium several times with Dr. Lee. I also taught at the University of New Haven, his Forensic Science Institute up there. I've known Dr. Lee for years, and we've corresponded on numerous occasions. I've also taken courses under him in Connecticut and so on. So Dr. Lee and I go back a long way. I know that as an expert, you just simply put out the facts and let the jury decide. Tell us how you're able to maintain your impartiality. Well, you have to be impartial, and you follow the evidence. You don't put in your feelings into any of this. Basically, I don't read the statements until after I have finished all my analysis and and have gotten the information I'm going to get and put together a sequence of events, and then I will read the statement. Therefore, that keeps you objective and neutral. And when I testify in front of the jury, I put the facts out. This is what the evidence showed. If it's contrary to what the suspect says, then the jury has to make that decision as to who they believe. Jerry, the audience may not know, but you are a major reason that a murderer is in prison. I'm talking about Cal Gilly, who was tried and convicted of the murder of Laura Salmon, which was our first cold case. Laura Salmon was another MTSU student that was killed, and her killer was not arrested for over 20 years. Tell us what you were able to determine when you examined the evidence in the Gilly case. As you referred to earlier, the blue jeans that we examined the first time I was up here, there were two pair of blue jeans found at the scene. Uh, One belonged to Miss Salmon, the other belonged to Kyle Gilly. And Mr. Gilly's statement said that basically he had left them in her car and that they were thrown on the body after fact, and he wasn't there. But the impact stains on the front of the blue jeans, around the knee area, impact stains on the side of the jeans, again around the knee area, and impact stains on the back of the jeans said somebody was wearing those jeans uh, at the time because the impact stains have to be created where the perpetrator of the word, those jeans, just has to be close to the point of impact at the time of impact. And so in looking at the jeans, and of course the scene itself, was able to determine that he was wearing those blue jeans at the time. They weren't just left in the back of the car where it was, there was somebody picked them up and threw them out on the body. Now the actual incident started in her car and continued around on the drive there, the road. And then he drug her into the field where he beat her in the head and then move the body again further into the field. So all of that taken together, we were able to put together a sequence of events that that took place, and particularly as regarding the blue jeans. Jerry, I know there's been several television shows that actually cover the Cal Gilly case, and I'll have to say that they didn't give you the credit that you deserved in those shows. I believe, personally, that your testimony about the evidence in those genes was the most important testimony concerning the physical evidence of the case. I do not want to take away in any way from the investigation of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office to include Detective Goodwin and, and Sharp, but your testimony was very impressive. Well, thank you. If the agency doesn't do a good job in the first place, then I really have very little to work with. So I I have to commend the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, the investigators, particularly Dan Goodwin and Bill Sharp, for their work on the case and the original work uh, that was done way back uh, 20 years prior to that. Because if the scene is not documented properly, if the evidence is not recovered and collected properly and analyzed properly, then there's really very little I can do. So they did a great job on that. Jerry, I want to personally thank you for helping bring closure to the Laura Salmon family and also bringing the heavy hand of justice to Cal Gilly. Jerry, it is an honor to know you. You are a friend of crime victims and their family. You are a friend of law enforcement and a friend of mine. 
and perhaps more importantly, you are an agent for the truth. Thank you. I appreciate you having me here this morning. All that's news. Your afternoon local news, traffic, and weather update with Matt Lane. Weekday afternoons, 440 until all sports talk on News Radio WGNS. Overnight, Good Neighbor Talk turns the UFOs, aliens, the unknown. It's coast-to-coast AM overnight every night on WGNS Murfreesboro. As we end our program today, we thank our two very special guests. From the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department, Sergeant Dan Goodwin, and from the world of forensic science, crime scene reconstructionist and blood spatter expert, Jerry Finley. We thank our producer, Nick Cohen, and we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, July the 2nd at 8, 10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host, former District Attorney General William C. Weitzel Jr. and current District Attorney Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe, and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. Thank you.